Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Today, we talk on three winter garden topics with Quentin Young. He's a Sacramento County, California master gardener, a landscape designer, and a former nursery manager. First off, Quentin discusses the importance of pruning your deciduous fruit trees during the spring and summer instead of the winter. Then we talk about many gardeners' winter vexation, potted plants that aren't draining after a rainstorm. He has several ideas on how to fix that. Finally, Quentin has some ideas for unusual cool season vegetables and edible flowers that you could be growing right now in USDA Zones 8 and 9, and maybe Zone 7, too, with some protection. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Let's go. It's winter. Should you be pruning your deciduous fruit trees? We've talked a lot about on this show the value of summer pruning of deciduous fruit trees. A deciduous fruit tree is one that loses its leaves in the winter. We're talking about peaches, plums, cherries, apples, you name it. If it loses its leaves and produces fruit in the summertime, well, it's probably a deciduous fruit tree. And summer pruning has a lot of value to it because you're pruning before the buds are set. Basically, you're pruning that tree after you've harvested the fruit. What about winter pruning? People have talked about winter pruning. It has its place. It has its value. But should that be your primary pruning season, the winter time? We're talking with Quentin Young, landscape designer, master gardener. We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center here in Sacramento County. We are standing next to a deciduous pomegranate, which is very nicely trellised, Q. That's really pretty. Thanks. Yeah, that's a, a pomegranate espalier. Excellent job. Thank you. All right. Winter pruning. I, you have all sorts of fruit trees here. Uh, talk a little bit about the fruit trees that are here. Um, we've got plums. We've got peaches. We have pluots. We have pluaries. We have figs. We have citrus trees, apples, pears, Asian pears. We've got, uh, let's see, adamoyas. We have guavas. We have avocados. We have a whole range of fruit trees here. Some more successful than others. Uh, yes. We're always pushing the envelope with the tropicals, so you know me on that one. Yeah. All right. Now, with the exception of citrus, which are evergreen fruit trees, deciduous fruit trees historically have been pruned in the wintertime. But we now know that when you prune in the wintertime, you're removing the buds that are going to give you fruit for the following year. That's correct. So depending on um, most people are over vigorous on their winter pruning. And then also here at the Hort Center, we practice what's called delayed winter pruning into the summer in large part um, to prevent infections in lots of the fresh cuts. Yeah, because rain can spread a lot of diseases. Yeah, especially with cherries and apricots, but also peaches and nectarines as well. Also, our summer pruning allows us to keep the trees smaller so they're easier to harvest, and it lets us open up the silhouette so that we get fruiting buds from basically top to bottom. 
Yeah, if you look around the fruit trees here, they're all basically six to seven feet tall, and that's the result of probably pruning twice a year in the spring and summer, once when you're thinning out the fruit and then once after you've harvested the fruit. That is correct. And on some of the uh, more vigorous ones, like the plums and pluots, we sometimes actually will prune them or we're continually pruning them at least once a month. All right. Now, winter pruning. One advantage I can see to winter pruning, you get a better view of the structure of the tree. You can take out crossing, rubbing, or broken branches. Um, That's correct. And so what we recommend is instead of pruning, that you mark the branches so that you know what to prune later. So we're going to probably do that with the multigraph cherry tree, which has gotten too big, but we don't want to prune it now, but we're going to mark the branches with colored tape so that we know which ones to cut later in the year. Is this an example of what you would have call what you just did call uh, delayed winter pruning. That is a perfect example because we know it's probably going to rain, hopefully some more, and we don't want those fresh cuts to get infected um, when the rains come. What is it about cherries and apricots that require them to be pruned best, say, in July or August? We want those wounds to heal before the rains come so they don't get things like you type a dieback, bacterial canker. Everybody sort of knows or you've, you've seen that cherry tree that leafs out in the spring and then suddenly starts wilting and everything just sort of dies on the branch. That's an example of um, dieback from usually doing cuts in the winter. Yeah, right. And the tree heals itself very slowly in the winter, whereas in the summertime, those wounds can heal themselves fairly quickly. Fairly quickly. That's correct. Yes. Is there any reason to prune a deciduous cherry tree in the wintertime? No. (laughs) I mean, if you're doing it for safety reasons, that's one thing. You know, obviously with these storms, if there was some reason you had to cut off a broken branch, I can understand that. But if you're just doing your regular fruit tree pruning, um, wait until at least um, March or April. Yeah, you look like uh, here in the orchard, uh, you came out uh, fairly unscathed after that near hurricane force wind uh, hit here in early January. Yeah, and that's another good reason to keep your trees small. You know, a smaller profile means you're going to have less wind resistance. If you go around your neighborhoods and look, it's the big trees that went down. The small trees here in the orchard um, survived really well. Well, there is this big native oak towering over things. It's true. Yeah, yeah. That's not, that one seemed to do well, too. Okay, that's good. You had more luck than I did. Yeah. Then. All right. So for people who did have fruit tree damage from falling trees, when should they get at it? Well, like I said, if it's for safety reasons, you're going to have to cut some branches now. But if you can wait, um, like I said, we do delayed winter pruning. So we'll probably wait till March or April. I think the only exception in the orchard is we'll prune probably in February the fig tree. All right. Yeah. Well, fig trees are noted for vigorous upright growth. That's correct. And we'll take that 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 tree down really low. You'd be surprised how hard we take it down and it doesn't miss a beat. For people who have had trees fall on their deciduous fruit trees, they may have seen damage of broken branches and stripped branches and creating a large scar, perhaps on a larger branch or even on the trunk. When should that be addressed? Uh, I would say if you have to address it now, then you have to, because obviously you already have an open wound. You want to make a nice fresh cut at this point and keep your fingers crossed that it compartmentalizes really well. But again, my preference is you do your pruning in the uh, late spring. As long as you don't uh, prune off the scion, the part that's grafted to the rootstock, uh, you should be okay. Fruit trees are hardy trees. They'll come back. It might take time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they, they did well without our help or millennium. Now they're doing um, a little bit better with our help. 
All right. Quentin Young, landscape designer here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, master gardener, uh, anxiously waiting warmer days, and Harvest Day, which is the first Saturday in August. It's an open garden day. It's the big event in the first Saturday of August here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in Fair Oaks, California. First Saturday in August. Q, there'll be a lot of fruit then. There will be. There'll be a lot. uh, And the orchard will be completely different looking then. I've told you about Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planters. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. They're BPA-free and lead-free, making them safe for growing vegetables and other edibles. Well, the folks at Smart Pots have added a new product to their lineup, perfect for building the healthiest soil imaginable for your garden. By composting, it's the Smart Pot Compost Sack, a large 100-gallon fabric bag that's lightweight yet extremely durable and lasts for years. It can hold 12 cubic feet of pure compost. This rugged fabric is entirely porous, containing many micropores that allow for air circulation and drainage. It's easy to start a compost pile with the Smart Pot Compost Sack. Just open the sack, set it on level ground, and start adding your compostable materials, grass clippings, vegetable peelings, coffee grounds, and more, as well as fallen leaves, straw, and shredded paper. Next, place the optional cover over the sack. That's all there is to it. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. You can find the location nearest you at their website, and you can buy it online from Smart Pots. Just visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED, F-R-E-D. Do it at checkout from the Smart Pots store. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers and their new compost sack. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. It's a rainy season, and it may be raining where you're living right now. And of course, when it rains very heavily, sometimes you notice your trees. And your trees are surrounded by water, puddles of water. Well, that's not very healthy for your trees. Well, let's bring the scope down a little bit and take a look at your potted plants, the plants you grow in containers. Is the water draining through the pot or not? If it isn't, you've got problems. Quentin Young is a Sacramento area garden consultant, landscaper, garden designer, and a pruning specialist. And Quentin posted on his Instagram feed at Q Young Garden a picture of a potted Japanese maple basically swimming in water. The water was not leaving the pot. And Q, I got to believe when you got there to your client's house that had the Japanese maple in that pot... And you saw that you went and got your camera and took the picture. So that wasn't a case of, oh, it's been raining and it just happened. That water had probably been there a while. Yeah, that was from, I think, the storm from New Year's Eve. Yeah, I just got there like a day ago. So I've probably been there for a week at least sitting in standing water. 
And because Japanese maples are a deciduous tree, they lose their leaves in the wintertime. Sometimes it's hard to tell if it's suffering or not. But I got to believe that any tree sitting in a large pot where there's floating water in it, it isn't doing the roots any good. No, it's not doing the roots any good. And you can usually tell once you start trying to pour it out, you get that smell from anaerobic decomposition that smells like stinky eggs. So yeah, it's kind of a two-pronged double strike against it. So whenever it rains, I mean, the advice we're trying to get across here is check your pots for standing water. Check your pots and better yet, maybe, you know, in the fall, add to your maintenance list, turn your pots over, tip them over, look to see if the roots have grown through the holes, do it beforehand. Because like I said, I've been so busy with work. It took me a week to get out there. That's not counting how many pots you might have in your yard and whether you're on vacation, that sort of thing. Be preemptive. Exactly. So let's talk about some strategies for keeping that water flowing through the pot. Obviously, you want to have drain holes in the bottom of the pot. And I've seen some gardeners who will stick a plant in a pot with no holes, thinking that the water just somehow magically disappears, and it doesn't. Yeah, and they sort of often will do that. Oh, you know, I'll just keep an eye on it, you know, but you forget. A week later, you've forgotten that that pot has no drain holes, and then we have one quick rain or you have a neighbor that's watering your plants for you and then unfortunately the symptoms are the same right you have this droopy plant so you think oh it needs more water and you keep watering it until you realize it's drooping because it's sitting in standing water and so the first thing you do when you buy a pot to put a, a plant in especially a large pot that you're going to be uh, having a, a tree in a small tree like a japanese maple it's one of the smaller versions of a japanese maple make sure the water can get out of that pot and go somewhere the other problem yeah. people will do is okay we'll do that we'll have a pot with a hole in it i'll just set it here on the ground and plant it this is exactly what happened in my clients is the roots grew through and these roots were massive so not only did they fill up the drain hole, but it probably took me a good 45 minutes of moving this pot back and forth just to be able to tip it over to cut the roots off. And I still actually have to go back with a sawzall. That's how massive these roots were. I couldn't get to the angle with my loppers. They were pretty significant tree roots coming out of the bottom of that pot. And that pot that you have with that Japanese maple that you posted on Instagram looks like a pretty nice pot because one strategy. It's a very I, nice. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and they probably were not willing to maybe have you drill a small hole towards the bottom on the backside to allow some drainage. You know, actually, I hadn't probably thought about that. If I'd had a drill with a, a proper porcelain bit, I probably, that could have been plan B. But the drainage hole was pretty big to begin with. There was about the size of like maybe like a mandarin. When I planted that tree, that was probably like four or five years ago. But that hole was one solid root. Um, so that took me a while, just like I said, to be able to get that pot at an angle, to be able to cut that root was a bit of a nightmare. But I, I did it. But like I said, I still got to go back with the sawzall. I want to cut more of the root out. And then I want to try to drill some of the root out that's coming through that hole. But all of that could have been prevented if I had just been a little bit more uh, preemptive about it. If it wasn't an expensive pot, one easy way of getting it out would be just to break the pot. I've done that in the past. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think we've all done that. And actually now, the dormant season, winter, it's a good season for repotting waterlogged deciduous trees. Yeah, doing a little bit of root pruning, putting them back in, back in with some um, fresh potting soil. 
And if you're lucky, maybe your local garden center is having a sale on pottery this winter. Would you move up a size in pots to do that? I would. Yeah, I, I would try to. But in the past, like with my citrus trees, I just recan them back into the same size pot. But I do do some root pruning. And like you said, now's a good time in the dormant season. With my citrus trees, I just want to make sure that I picked all the fruit off. But um, now would be a good time. You could sort of with the Japanese maple treat it a bit like a bonsai and just do some root pruning and put it back in the same size. But you could go up a size if you wanted. Would you wash off the soil and then repot it into new soil? Um, I would wash off part of the old soil as part of the root pruning and definitely put it in with some new fresh potting soil. And I bet there'd be something under the pot this time around. Yeah, you know, so like this is a good example of just how time changes things. I had had it on some pieces of brick and things like that, same way that we do with the wine barrels at the horticulture center. But over time, things sink and they settle. And this had settled into the ground. Um, and that's what allowed the roots um, to grow through the hole into the ground. This is a good lesson for anybody with potted plants. Don't set them on the soil because the roots will find the soil below. Yeah. And if you do put them on the soil, um, go back maybe once a year, tip it over, make sure that it hasn't sunken into the ground. Because I had some pots at home that had done the same thing. They had just settled into the ground and started to root into the ground. And so luckily I caught those at times. Another strategy would be to put something like a plastic plant stand beneath it that just raises it maybe an inch or so above the soil line. There, there's uh, Yep, or use some pieces of broken brick. I have some um, bamboo in pots at home, and what I did, just to be extra safe, I used 12 by 12 and 24 by 24, just regular um, concrete pavers that you would use to make a path. And I put them on those. So that way I know for sure that there's no way that they're going to root into the ground. You're a gambling man. I know. Because <laughs> it's bamboo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but what the heck? You got to do something. Yeah. Raise it off the ground so that there is that air gap here that will discourage any roots from leaving the pot and getting into the soil. Uh, you mentioned, though, that in, in your Instagram post that if this is a big pot. And for one person to handle it, to tip it over, to take a look, it, it took a bit of effort. It did. It took me almost 45 minutes of rocking back and forth, of cutting fairly significant roots to be able to turn the pot over on its side to get to that major root ball, which I still have to go back and cut out. But that explains why my client had me do it, and they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a good time of the year to do it, the dormant season, because yes. they're, they're, it's not pushing out new growth at this time. The, the days are too short. The soil is too cool. And this would be a good time for doing that repotting, root pruning, and, and making sure that your, your tree hasn't anchored itself in your garden bed. Exactly, exactly. Lesson learned. All right. Yes, indeed. So go ahead and check your pots. By the way, and this brings up a very good point, too, is anytime you are watering those containerized plants, make sure that the water is leaving the bottom. Water it by hand with a hose. Stand there and wait until the water leaves the bottom of the pot. That is true. And like I said, if you have a plant that looks droopy, double check. Make sure that it's droopy because, let's say in the summertime, make sure that it's droopy because it hasn't gotten enough water and it's not instead sitting in standing water. Yeah, which is often the problem, too. That's why moisture meters with a good long uh, prong on it, 12 inches or even 24 inches, can give you a good idea of what's happening at the bottom of the pot. And usually, like you say, it's a stinky thing. Yeah. And like I said, that's also a good rule of thumb for houseplants, too. Too, you know, because people will often overwater houseplants, 
not realize they're sitting in standing water. And they'll have them start drooping through lack of oxygen and they'll just keep overwatering them. Same, same sort of rule of thumb. Get your moisture meter, lift your plant up, check the weight, number of different things to make sure that you're not overwatering those too. Yeah, now, unless you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're not going to be lifting a potted tree up to figure if that it's is correct. W- wet or dry. <laughs> that is correct. All right, water, it can be your friend, it can be your enemy, and this is the time of year for your potted outdoor plants. Make sure that there is drainage going on. Quentin Young, again, he's on Instagram at QYoungGarden. Sacramento County Master Gardener. He works in the orchard at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, and uh, they always have a great display of fruit trees, deciduous fruit trees and citrus trees that you can check out and see how they could work in your landscape. The best event at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is always the first Saturday in August, Harvest Day. If you're in Northern California on the first Saturday in August, you need to check out Harvest Day at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Quentin Young, thanks so much for uh, keeping us high and dry. Thanks for having me on, Fred. The weather may not be perfect for outdoor gardening right now, but it's perfect for planning your 2023 garden. Now's the time to plan the what and the where of what you want to plant for the future. And to help you along, it pays to visit your favorite independently owned nursery on a regular basis throughout the fall and winter just to see what's new. And coming soon to that nursery near you is Dave Wilson Nursery's excellent lineup of farmer's market favorites. Great tasting, healthy fruit and nut varieties. They'll already be potted up and ready to be planted. And we're also talking about a great selection of antioxidant rich fruits such as blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, goji berries, grapes, kiwi, mulberries, gooseberries, figs, and pomegranates. Wholesale grower Dave Wilson Nursery has probably the best lineup of great tasting fruit and nut trees of any grower in the United States. Find out more at their website, DaveWilson.com. And while you're there, check out all the videos they have on how to plant and grow all their delicious varieties of fruit and nut trees. Plus, at DaveWilson.com, you can find the nursery nearest you that carries Dave Wilson's plants. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. On the Garden Basics podcast, we like to expand your horizons a little bit, and there are a lot of great tasting cool season vegetables that perhaps you may want to try in your own backyard. These might be vegetables that may be rather hard to find at a supermarket. You might find them maybe at upscale restaurants, but when was the last time you were in an upscale restaurant, huh? And for that matter, they might even be kind of rare at farmers markets, but yet these could be available at a nursery near you. We're talking with Quentin Young. And of the cool season vegetables that you brought in this year, Q, what are the popular ones? Um, I think a lot of the kales are very popular. Um, A lot of the leafy greens, the salad mixes, because they're very easy to grow. They don't require a lot of root space. Um, Some of the more unusual broccolis and cauliflowers unusual Asian greens. Um, Fava beans actually are pretty popular. I like to grow them because I hate spending the money um, that you have to pay to buy the whole pod um, at the stores. So they're really easy to grow and they're really easy to shell. Um, So it's a great money saver that way. Um, Onions, garlic, uh, leeks, all of those are doing really well this year. All right, let's talk about uh, fava beans since you brought it up. I know it and we've talked about it on this program as being a great cover crop. 
but it produces a very edible crop of beans, doesn't it? Uh, beans, and then you and I talked about in the past about eating the um, the tender greens as well. But yeah, they're very easy to grow. Really interesting flower. Really interesting to watch the flower attract beneficials. You'll sometimes get some aphids on the fava beans, but I don't mind them because it also brings in the ladybugs in the winter. But they're very easy to grow. You basically just plant them and they germinate within about two, three weeks. Soaked mine overnight, I think, but they popped up really quickly. Fava beans, I think, is a great crop to get your kids interested for the little ones because it's such a big bean that they could easily plant. A big bean, easy to plant, also very easy to pick, easy to find. I sort of grow mine um, through my tomato cages to give them a little bit of support. Um, And I I do the same with a lot of my, um, I'm always trying different kinds of snap peas. Um, So I also grow those through my tomato cages as well. And what little kid, and for that matter, what little gardener doesn't like dandelions? I think we've talked on this program about the benefits of actually having dandelions in your lawn, how it uh, helps out the soil and helps water percolate through through its extensive root system. Of course, everybody loves to blow off the flower head. But dandelion greens, they're a rather tasty treat, aren't they? They are, and actually, um, there's uh, they're used a lot, um, like in Italian cooking. There's you know there's that kind of section of bitter greens like dandelion greens, endive, chicory. Um, but the dandelion dandelion greens, um, they're very decorative. They're not your kind of flat rosette on the ground. They're very upright. They have a very um, distinctive serrated leaf um, with a really pretty red rib, almost like a chard. Um, They're very productive. Mine got about a foot tall. It was quite a big bunch to basically just grab and cut. I cut them about an inch above the ground and they basically re-sprouted again. But really easy to grow and very easy to grow. I'm growing some in containers this year. Can you eat them raw or should they be cooked? Uh, You could eat them raw, um, small. Um, As they get bigger, they're a little bit tougher and they do um, hold up to like stir frying or sautéing or putting in soups. All right. And they're available at, at, at nurseries as plants or as seed. I'm sure you could find them online as a seed, arugula and radicchio as well. So radicchio, endive, those chicories, and like most of the leafy greens, they germinate uh, fairly quickly. But that's a nice range of other tastes if you like to try them in your salads. And some of them actually hold up well to cooking. And for people who haven't perused the lettuce aisle lately at their favorite local nursery, the Salanova line of uh, lettuce greens is very popular, and I've grown it, and I can see why it's popular. It's easy to grow and lasts a long time. Yeah, and very productive and and very... um... A really interesting range of colors and textures of those reds and greens and kind of, you know, flat leaf, rustle leaf, um, but very, uh, you know, really nice look. They would do well in containers as well. And don't forget to throw in if you want to, um, you know, some decorative pansies or violas or calendula, because those also have edible flowers like nasturtiums. And those are things that you might not be able to find in the store um, because you're, you know, obviously if you're growing them yourselves, you control um, whether you use chemicals or not use chemicals, but they're a great way to add some interest to salads, um, throw in some flowers. Uh, Calendula is a great 
great flour for salads. It's basically called a winter marigold. Um, adds a nice either yellow or orange color, as well as nasturtium flowers and the nasturtium leaves. Um, it's a really kind of nice peppery green. And then you've got your pansies and violas as well. Exactly. Colorful and tasty to boot. Let's talk about some uh, root crops because they can be grown in a wide variety of climates. And there are some that you may not find in the supermarket, like a watermelon radish or an icicle radish. Yeah, the watermelon radishes are really distinctive. They have sort of a chartreuse, whitish green outside. You cut into them and almost like a little miniature watermelon, they have a really distinct pink center. Um, and the, to me, they're fairly mild, but they're very decorative. You see them used a lot in, in um, kind of like on salads as a sort of a side dish. I'm growing um, a white icicle radish this year. They germinated really quickly. I think they were ready in about 45 days. Um, I picked them when they were up about um, finger length and finger width, and um, I really liked them. They were a spicy radish. I'm not sure if the summer heat had anything to do with them when I sowed the seeds, um, but those are two really distinct um, radishes that you may not see in the store, as well as the French um, breakfast radishes. Those are also unique. Then also the really hot black Spanish radish, um, which are harder to find. And that's another nice one if you like a hot radish. Wow. The black Spanish radish. I guess you could uh, serve it with your leftover jalapenos. Yeah, I mean, if you like them hot, there you go, as well as the daikon radish. And daikons are very easy to grow. You'll often see those in your cover crop mixes. But a daikon radish, um, an, another really easy root crop, though it might be a little bit longer before you harvest them. I think what a lot of people don't realize when it comes to root crops is that some of the greens of the root crops are edible, like uh, for beets. Yeah, beet greens, radish greens, and there's there's um, a couple of beet varieties that are grown primarily just for the greens. And if you grow them um, for the actual beet, um, save the greens. You can use those as well. There's quite a few different recipes for how to um, prepare beet greens, and there's quite a few different recipes for radish greens as well. Uh, your traditional purple beet, your orange beets, and some white beets, which are a little bit sweeter. But there's quite a few different varieties of beets as well. Tell us about the Chioga beet. Chioga beets are really pretty. It looks like a bullseye when you cut into it. Um, one of those heirloom Italian varieties, and that's another one that would probably be hard to find in the store. Another crop that people may not be too familiar with uh, would be some of the Chinese cabbages or Chinese kales. Yeah, so the, there's quite a few, um, you know, people are familiar with let's say Napa cabbage, which is a little bit different than the European traditional large head cabbage. So you've got your Chinese cabbages and then you'll kind of um, you can learn or, you know, figure out how you want to grow things like um, bok choy or tat soy or the Shanghai choy. Those are all different sort of sizes and shapes. And then you get into um, like the Chinese broccoli um, that has that sort of larger stem with no florets. It's pretty much a stem and a leaf. Um, and then there's the gailon that has more sort of a purple color to it, um, often served with the um, unopened or slightly opened flower buds. And then you've got some of the Japanese greens. So there's quite a range of those that you can grow basically, again, all winter long. Since you brought up the subject of broccoli, let's talk about some unusual broccoli varieties. I know one that people are starting to talk about a lot is broccolini. Broccolini, um, sometimes it's called um, asparagus. It just really depends. Uh, it's a little bit uh, different than broccoli rob. Um, so they're two different plants, but they're both 
prepared in similar ways. You know, you can saute them, that sort of thing. The broccolini has a, a distinctive soft stem that um, often for some people reminds them of, of an asparagus spear. Um, the broccoli rob is a little bit more bitter. Um, it, it has more of the, the turnip I, I background in its leaves, but both of those, again, leafy greens that you would um, harvest, uh, and you could also eat the undeveloped flower buds, mm. unopened flower buds. And what about sprouting broccoli? What's its story? Well, sprouting broccoli, so most people are familiar with like the large head, like Marathon or Arcadia, Green Magic, those have sort of a large, the typical, what I would say, grocery store broccoli um, that you're going to be waiting some time for that flower head to develop. The sprouting broccolis, um, there's some Italian varieties. I think um, De, De Seccio is one. There's uh, English purple, and they do a lot of little side shoots. And so you pick those instead of waiting for that large flower head to develop. And there's some cauliflower varieties like that as well. Plenty out there for the cool season garden, things that you may not be familiar with, things that would be a taste treat for your family. Give them a try. Quentin Young is a Sacramento County master gardener, a landscape designer, and a purveyor of unusual vegetables as well. Quentin, thanks for filling up our plate with unusual cool season vegetables today. Thanks for having me on, Fred. In today's podcast, we heard from master gardener and landscape designer Quentin Young about the benefits of summer pruning of deciduous fruit trees and the drawbacks of winter pruning. Quentin's primary reason for concentrating on summer fruit tree pruning, the chance of disease hitting open wounds in the wintertime due to seasonal rains. Those cuts heal themselves much slower in colder weather than if those cuts were done in the spring or summer. But... As you may be aware, in the wide world of gardening, there are multiple ways of achieving a successful harvest of vegetables, flowers, and fruits without appearing to be harming the plant. How many times have you heard a fellow gardener utter the phrase, well, that's not the way I'd do it? And they're probably right because they have had success doing it their way. But as Farmer Fred Garden Rule Number 8 suggests... If it works for you, fine, but keep an open mind. If you're using safe gardening techniques that others might frown upon and those techniques are, are working for you, well, who are we to tell you to stop? Still, new research techniques or equipment may make your chores a heck of a lot easier and satisfying. Today's solution, after all, could become tomorrow's problem. So be open to change. Keep an open mind. With that said, in today's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, we present a couple of alternatives to fruit tree pruning that include reasons for pruning in the winter as well as summer pruning. For current newsletter subscribers, look for the winter versus summer fruit tree pruning, a couple of alternative viewpoints, in the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's probably in your email right now. Or you can start a subscription. It's free. Find the link to the newsletter in today's show notes or sign up at the newsletter link at our homepage, gardenbasics.net. Happy pruning! Mm-hmm. 
The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast comes out once a week on Fridays. Plus, the newsletter podcast that comes with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter continues, and that will also be released on Fridays. Both are free, and they're brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. The Garden Basics podcast is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes our homepage, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can also sign up for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast. That's gardenbasics.net. Or you can use the links in today's show notes. And thank you so much for listening.